great to uh, be back with you all. Um, appreciate Andrew uh, filling in, preaching the last couple of weeks, and uh, we had decided a number of years ago that we would uh, take grandkids when they're 10 on a trip, and ours came in waves. They're always in at least twos. So two years ago, we took the two oldest ones, and they were 10 uh, on a cruise, and the next two were girls, and so they wanted to go on a cruise, so we took them on a cruise and uh, had a great time, and uh, and and uh, they were very much ladylike and didn't uh, cause any problems on the boat, wanted to dress up for all the evening meals and so forth. One of the things we did was to take them on a, we always try to do one kind of special trip on that, and we took them on a thing called the Dolphin Encounter. And it, this one you don't swim with the dolphins, but you get in a lagoon area where they have them sectioned off in about waist-deep water, and they, they have them do tricks and stuff, and they swim by, and, and you can pet them and stuff like that. And over in another area they have sectioned off, which is a little bit smaller, uh, quite a bit smaller, they have the males. And I didn't realize, but the three groups we had were all female dolphins, and apparently they, they normally work with those because they're, they're more passive, I guess. And anyway, I don't know if it got loose or what the deal was, but a male dolphin came swimming by, and, and our, our dolphin guide lady very much said, don't interact with that male dolphin at all. And it, we were all standing in a straight line like this, and the dolphin came behind us and, and just brushed up hard on us from behind to the extent that it pretty much almost knocked you over, you know, at least made you uh, step forward a time or two, it, it, kind of a little bit aggressive. And I thought I can see the headline now, Midwest Minister Mauled by Flipper. <laughs> but anyway, we, we had a good time, and we decided in the midst of that, the next group is four boys in two years, four boys. There is no way on earth we're taking them on a cruise. <laughs> that is not going to happen. You can see, first of all, they would, I promise you, in the fancy dining room, they would start a food fight. And, and the next thing is, as the ship started to steer off course, they would eventually figure out when they went into the navigation deck that the captain's tied up. I, I've been in that situation a number of times at their hands, so we're planning some other kind of trip for those four. We, uh, we're going to spend the next few weeks, four or five, maybe, maybe six, um, in the Gospels looking at uh, some of the questions, and I just want to use that kind of as a springboard, some of the questions that people asked Jesus in one or two instances, they may be questions that Jesus asked, but normally questions that people ask Jesus, and I think they have a lot of relevance for us in particular. And then, of course, we'll see his answers to them, and then how those answers um, are relevant to us and maybe would impact us. Now, we looked on the Internet and found some questions that kids would ask Jesus or, or God, and some of them are in the form of uh, prayers, but some of them are just questions. Like Jack, for instance, would say, Dear God, there surely isn't school in heaven, is there? 
Sarah says, asks, Dear God, could you please change the taste of asparagus? It tastes like grass. Thanks. And I thought, that's a really good one, but it makes you wonder, how does she know what grass tastes like? Lucy asks, Dear God, are you really invisible or is that a trick? Norma asks, Dear God, did you mean for the giraffe to look like that or was it an accident? Larry, Dear God, maybe Cain and Abel would not kill each other so much if they had their own separate room. It works for me and my brother. Three-year-old Reese, the others were older, but three-year-old Reese, while saying the Lord's Prayer, not so much a question, but the Lord's Prayer, she says, prays, Our Father, who does art in heaven, Howard is his name. Amen. And, and finally, Jenny asked, Dear God, could you please put another holiday between Christmas and Easter? There's nothing good in there right now. We can identify with some of those, but there were people that came to Jesus, often people close to him. Some were, some were probably strangers, but often people close to him because those were the ones around him most often. And ask him good questions and questions now that we might know a better answer to, because of course we have the benefit of looking backward at Jesus and knowing why he was here, what he did, and so forth, and, and, and the real relevance of all that, but they're still relevant. Now, still by way of introduction, I wonder what questions we would ask Jesus or God. Some people would ask that are scientifically bent, were there really dinosaurs? I liked what I saw the other day, a plaque. I, I have a four-year-old grandson that's really into dinosaurs, and I saw this plaque, and I told him about it. And it said, it's always best to be yourself. Unless, of course, you can be a dinosaur. Then it's best to be a dinosaur. You might, some might ask, and I've heard people wonder this because they're so close to their pets. Will my pet be in heaven? Some would ask, <laughs> with varying degrees and, and sides of the question, will we be married in heaven? Probably the most serious one would be some version of this. Why do you let bad things happen? And a lot of people, and not always genuinely, sometimes it's an excuse and all that, but a lot of people genuinely even use that question or some variation of it. Um, why do the good people suffer? and Why do bad things happen? And so forth. Actually as a basis for their faith or lack of. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 11, if you would, and really the whole section um, through verse 19 um, kind of is part of this. I'm, I'm just going to begin with verses 1 through 6. That's where the question and the answer is found. Matthew chapter 11 and verses 1 through 6. 
And yours might say, if you read out of the New International Version like I do, Jesus and John the Baptist. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. So that just kind of gives you a little background idea of what he's uh, doing most of the time right now as he begins his ministry. When John, that's John the Baptist, when John the Baptist heard in prison what Christ was doing, and notice there, as Matthew writes that, because that's real important, he doesn't say what Jesus was doing, but this is what John's wondering about. He says what Christ was doing. He sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come? Or should we expect someone else? Now that's the question I want us to look at. Are you the one who was to come? And more specifically, are you the one? Well, Jesus replied, go back and, and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. So the question we're going to look at for a few minutes this morning is, are you the one who was to come? Now, by way of background here, I think there's kind of three people or groups that are relevant to, to know the background of, and you know most of it. First of all is John the Baptist who asks the question, and then there's Jesus who answers the question, the question is asked of, and then there's the Jewish people because what they believe and what they're looking for plays a part in that question. Um, are you the one? First about John the Baptist, you, you know details of his miraculous birth, that's in Luke chapter 1, and it precedes the, the, the most complete account of Jesus' birth, the prophesying about it and the actual events leading up to Jesus' birth in Luke chapter 2. But before that is the same thing done with the birth of John the Baptist. And his birth is miraculous, but not like Jesus. It's more like an Abraham or somebody like that, where when it was thought that they couldn't have children biologically and so forth, God allowed them naturally, he, he miraculously allowed them naturally to have a child. So it was a miraculous birth in that God caused it, but it was a natural birth in that, that John the Baptist was the product of a human man and woman, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Now it preceded that, and Scripture underscores that John's parents were devoted followers of God. Now, we need to underscore and mention there before we go on just quickly because I think it's important. It almost always is. Not every time, but it almost always is that we as parents need to be devoted followers of God, not just some kind of vague, I believe in God, like so many people claim and all that. We need to be devoted followers of God. And that goes a long way. A long way, not, not completely, but it goes a long way in ensuring 
that our children are devoted followers of God too. It certainly helped in the case of John the Baptist. Just like Jesus, an angel announced his birth. He was committed, or the parents were to commit themselves to him following a Nazarite-like vow. You remember people like Samson and so forth. And in his case, it was that he wasn't to take any kind of strong drink. And he would be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it says about him, he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Now, what was his purpose? It seems to be, his purpose wasn't just to excite his parents to fulfill their desires for a child and so forth. Much more than that, it was to prepare the way for the Lord. It was to go on before Jesus and get people prepared for the Messiah coming. So in his ministry, it tells a lot about what he did. He, he preached and he baptized. You'll find a lot of this in the book of Luke as well. He preached and he baptized, and in that section, in a short section there, when it talks about John the Baptist's ministry, and, and I didn't really see this before, but so much of his emphasis as he preached, as he baptized, was on repentance. Now, we don't hear about that as much today. We don't hear as much about asking people on God's behalf to turn their lives around, to give them over to God, to stop following whatever else they were following or nothing else that they were following and begin following God. There's so many trite definitions and explanations of repentance, but at the core of it's that. We change our mind, we determine, we decide that nothing else that's been important in my life is going to be as important as following Christ. And that's what John the Baptist was about. Four times in that short, short section, it mentions the word repentance. John the Baptist had the, had the privilege of baptizing Jesus. And of course, in Luke chapter 3 and, and 13 through 15, uh, he, he, he was hesitant to do that. He didn't want to do that. He recognized the significance of Jesus and that Jesus ought to baptize him. But Jesus said, you know, you need to do this. And he did. Now by the time he asked this question, John the Baptist is in prison. And he did it because he took a moral stand and confronted one of the leaders of their government about a bad moral situation that he was involved in. And so he was in prison. And not much later, he was killed because of that. But in the meantime, he hears about Jesus and what he's doing, and he sends some of his followers to ask Jesus, are you the one? Now there's a number of explanations Proposed. We don't know why he asked that when Jesus was some kind of relative of his. And he certainly had acquaintance with Jesus. And they'd cross paths and the baptism and different times when 
when John famously said, one of my favorite verses in Scripture, when he said about Jesus, he must become greater and I must become less. So why did he not know if he was the one now? Uh, nobody's sure about that. Maybe he was trying to convince his followers and to convince his followers that they should be following Jesus now instead of him or whatever it is. But are you the one? Now, when he, when, uh, about Jesus a little bit. Jesus was baptized, as we mentioned, by John, and, and it, it was a normal baptism, except when God put his seal of approval on that at the end, as heaven opened, and he blessed him and said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We don't know exactly who could or did hear that. It was probably most important that Jesus did. And I wonder, though, if God's not saying or at least thinking that, when each one of us makes that decision and does the same thing. We don't hear that. I know it's not verbal and visible as it was at Jesus' baptism, but don't you imagine God saying the same thing? This is my child whom I love. I'm well pleased with him or her. And in his ministry, up till now, Jesus has been preaching and teaching He's already called his first disciples. As a matter of fact, by the time this happens, he has the group that will be his apostles, his closest ones. He's performed his first miracles. He's calmed the storm. He's cast out demons. He's healed people that are sick. He's even raised a person that's dead, at least one that we know of. And then there's the Jewish people. And that goes into a little bit, you can see that there, why John asked that question. The Jewish people, and, and, and I'm emphasizing, are you the one, but the rest of it is, are you the one who was to come? And the implication there that we know the prophecies about. Scripture from, from hundreds of years ago has told of a coming Messiah. Are you the one, are you that Messiah? You see, the Jewish people are waiting for that promise, that prophesied Messiah. And many would be wondering if Jesus, born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, might be him. Now let's switch gears a little bit as we close. And ask ourselves that question or ourselves ask that question of Jesus. Are you the one? Now, the Jews would plug in any number of things there. Probably, most prominently, by the wording, are you the one who is fulfilling these prophecies? Are you the one who's going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Yes, but not like they think, of course. Are you the one who's going to destroy our enemies? Do 
You know, they came to John the Baptist with that same question. Essentially, they were asking him, are you the one? And he was quick to point out, no. He wasn't the Christ. He was preparing the way for the Christ. Jesus' answer, go back and tell John what you've seen and heard. All these miracles that are taking place, these lives that are being changed physically, spiritually, and your question really answers itself. What would you plug in there? It'd be different probably than what the Jewish people would do. Are you the one who can take us to heaven? We'll have a message about that when Jesus was asked, what must I do to be saved? Are you the one that can physically heal us and make everything right? Are you the one that can save my child from this or that? We have a lot of questions. And the answer is that Jesus is the one. Are you the one? The answer to that is yes. The same as it was in biblical times. He's the one. He's the one that as John talked about encourages you to repent, to turn from your former lifestyle, your former allegiances, your former priorities, and make God your priority. He's the one that offers healing, sometimes physically, always spiritually. He's the one that made possible raising the dead that will affect every single one of us that are followers of Christ. Are you the one? We could get the idea because nationally we're so bent on um, allowing any kind of religion and, and, and all that kind of thing, even seemingly some that we know aren't real, don't lead to God. We know. Not everybody does. Others would espouse there are others that could be the one. But that's not so. Jesus is the one. He's the only one that can grant forgiveness that leads to eternal life. He's the only one that can take you by the hand and lead you to heaven. He's the only one that can take all the messes we've made of our lives and our world and make them whole and right. He's the only one that will be left standing with his people when this world, this physical world, is no more. This morning as we go into our time of decision, I hope you already asked and answered that question, that you've made Jesus the one in your life. That, that when confronted with that question, 
years ago, for many of us, dozens and dozens of years ago, we said, yeah, I want to make sure Jesus is the one in my life. And then we stepped forward and we accepted him as our Savior and then we were baptized in him. That's an important part. Jesus himself did that. He required, he commanded his followers to do that. If you've not answered that question, then we'd love to sit down with you and help you to do that. Biblically. Not our opinion. Not what we think. What God says. Let's stand together and and sing our hymn of decision. And if you've got a decision to make this morning, we invite you to come.